Welcome to Breakfast in the Ruins, a Michael Moorcock flavoured podcast. On this show, Laws, Phil and I will have a chinwag about Moorcock and tabletop role-playing games. The influence of Moorcock on the world of the tabletop RPG and fantasy wargame is undeniable, with elements of his oeuvre driving multiple elements of some of the most popular examples of the art, some to greater degrees than others, and even reaching the extent, much like his influence on fantasy fiction as a whole, where the gaming landscape is littered with his material, albeit with the serial numbers filed off, or in the case of the world's most successful wargaming company, just taped over a bit. After initially being the subject of a board game called Elric, Battle at the End of Time, in 1977, the moody albino would get his first RPG in 1981. Stormbringer, fantasy role-playing in the world of Elric, would get six editions over the years, up until 2001, before, due to licensing deals, another company would have a couple of runs at the material, to varying degrees of success. The last was sadly short-lived before licensing lapsed again, and there haven't been any efforts since. Elric of Melnibode, for Mongoose Publishing's RuneQuest 2 line, was probably one of the better efforts too, but to understand the licensing and development around the long-lived RuneQuest line, in terms of development and licensing, is almost as convoluted and complex as unravelling the Eternal Champions shenanigans over the years, so we're not going there. Hawkmoon also followed a similar path in RPGs, although on a much more limited basis, with only one edition emerging from each developer, with a 21-year gap between them. Both were also licensed and lost by the same companies as the Elric games. Finally, Corum, who we're yet to cover on the show, was the subject of one solitary sourcebook for the Stormringer line. Arguably, it's also the best single RPG product based upon Mocock's work to be released, at least in English. There's a whole other world of French and German RPG products based upon Elric and Hawkman that have sadly never made the leap into English translations. Now we're not going to be going into any great detail regarding particular systems, or indeed the influence Moorcock's work had on the hobby as a whole. For deep dives into the Stormbringer and Hawkman licensed games by Chaosium, head over to the Grognard files. For discussions regarding his influence on Dungeons and Dragons, go straight to the Appendix N podcast. There, as mentioned before on the show, also got the man himself on board for an interview late last year, and it's brilliant. As for our meandering nonsense, we'll be talking generally about our history with Moorcock flavoured gaming, and how Phil moved from watching movies in the lounge whilst we conducted our activities in the kitchen, all the way over to being an ever-present at our gaming table. Should you be hazy on what a role-playing game is, don't worry, I put Phil on the spot for an explanation. We'll also introduce my old character, Gerard Arthur Connolly, and explain why I've decided to serialise his adventures just for a bit of fun, by creating audio versions of the game write-up I started from his perspective as an unreliable narrator. I ran out of material after six chapters, but if nobody hails any tomatoes, I may be motivated to write more, we'll see. But for now, I'll bang an episode at the end of each show, Dick Barton style, until I run dry. Anyhow, we're a couple of beers down already, and our breakfast wine wore off ages ago. So join us at our table in Derry and Tom's, as we get down to it. And we're back in Derry and Tom's roof garden, and for the first time, we have a panel discussion. We've got Laws and Phil in the room. Hello, Laws. Hello. Hello, Phil. Hello. Hello. And today, we're going to be talking about Michael Moorcock and role-playing games, and what, in our opinion games creators have got right and what they've got wrong 
mostly wrong, I think, in my opinion. No spoilers. No. Well, spoiler. Actually. Yeah, spoiler. Mostly awful. Yeah. Um, we're not going to get down into the details and depths of things like systems, um, but I do recommend, if you're into that, listen to uh, the, I think it's episode 40 of the Grognag Files, which is all about the Hawkman role-playing game, which is great. And it's even if you're good. not a gamer, yeah, even if you're not a gamer, it's a great episode and it might make you RPG curious, even if you're just a Mocock fan. But yeah, definitely check that out. But we're doing this largely because a while back I was thinking about an old game that Loz ran several years ago where I used uh, a character that I created probably in the mid-90s, maybe early 90s, for the first Mocock yeah, game that you ever ran. Do you remember what that game was? Yes, I do. Tell us all about it. It's probably going to be quite vague, um, but it was it was based on... There was a book by Mary Gentle called Rats and Gargoyles. Uh, yeah, so uh, Mary Gentle, Rats and Gargoyles, quite like the setting. It was basically a semi-steampunky thing where the city was ruled by rats, mm. which were talking rats, and yeah. they were the hierarchy. And I think I just wanted to run a Mocock game, really. Yeah. Made one of... They were kind of characters or aspects of the Eternal Champion, mm. if I remember rightly. Yeah, which I think is why I came up with the thinly veiled Oswald Bastable clone that was Gerard Arthur Connolly. Yeah. But because I'm a lazy bastard, um, it made perfect sense to me over the years that once I'd created Gerard Arthur Connolly, to basically continue to use him every time you did a Mocock-related game... Because not yeah. only does it fit with me being lazy, but also it's the most more cocky end of approaches to just yeah, keep yeah. on recycling the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that game was mostly awful. Uh, one of the characters who we were going to say, you are an aspect of the Eternal Champion, decided to call his, his character Noel Clippingstock. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Noel Clippingstock didn't quite get, have the gravitas I was hoping for. <laughs> No, not, nor did it bring in the kind of you know when you I like to set a mood when we're doing yeah. a game you know it was like right mocock game it's kind of gothic it's kind of this so who are you going to be no clipping stock right okay <laughs> brilliant so the whole game is now ruined but I'll try and carry on playing it to be fair to Neil I don't think that was his first time playing no clipping stock either was it probably not yeah. but yeah, yeah. It, that was lazy Bear in mind it was a version of his own name, yeah. which is quite poor. Yeah, but I think, I think it's a great way of doing things, frankly, because um, I think before that, the games you ran, I was Newton Ewell. Yes. Pretty much were. over and over again, yeah, and I yeah. think he's come back at certain points. He was. He was a, he was a Geordie, wasn't he? Yeah. Geordie yeah. with a massive, massive curly hair. Yeah. Big yeah, glasses. No, this That's is going back to the yeah. well, the, the, the first The first mock-up game I ever run, though, was with... The guys who I'm currently playing uh, Delta Green with at the moment yeah. it was a homebrew Hawkman game. Yeah. Because the doll read the books or started to read the books and started playing it. And I uh, did the RuneQuest 2 rules and just made up some rules for Flame Lancers and yep. Ornithopters. Yeah. Because I had a lot of time on my hand and probably should have been out more. But mm. uh, as you do. Mm-hmm. So we played that and we played that with about three or four games. And after it, I, I used. Uh, Parts of that Emerald Isle, what was it? Shattered Isle. So, so some of the Shattered Isle game, I sort of, right, I, I might use some of that as a segue. Yeah. It was absolutely crap. Yeah. Um, I was going to get to that at some point later, but I think it's probably worth mentioning now that that's the single worst example of any kind of Mocock related RPG product I've ever come across. It's it's up there. I think, that, to be fair, the, the concept of 
Because Ireland's never really mentioned, is it, in in the Port Moon games? It's not, but their choice of method of implementing Ireland as part of the Grand Britannian kind of uh, circle of influence, resulting in it being um, Republicans versus the Grand Britannians yeah. with tanks and helicopters. That was slightly clever. That they found it? in a shed. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it lost me at that point. That was the first game. There's another game in it, which yeah. I don't think had the helicopters in it. But I remember I remember somebody reviewing it going, oh, helicopters versus, versus ornithopters, how cool is that? It's like, Ooh. not remotely cool. No, it's not, really not in bad. any way, shape, yeah, or form. What, what you've done there is really bad. So. Yeah, although there are some rules at the beginning for flamingos versus ornithopters. Yeah, which, which is, is a thing. Yeah, which yeah. or swans. We've done swans yeah. in a game. Yeah, oh, we did. It's yeah. true. Oh, we'll get we'll get to that yeah. one further down the line. Giants ones, naturally, yeah, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, a bit yeah. stupid otherwise. Otherwise, you just kill them, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, yeah, probably, probably not. The vicious swans yeah. oh, break your arm. One for each butt cheek. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure we could have made it work. Um, roll swan handling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that that was my first experience of of Mocot role playing games. Despite the fact that I think I probably had the original Chaosium Hartman box set by that point. Um, and, it, and it is. Can you remember what you, rules we use? I've got a feeling we use Warhammer. Oh, God, I can't remember. No, I can't. I can't it. remember. The, the only strong memory I have of that was that I think um, our strange compadre Tom played that game. He did, yeah. Yeah. It was uh, just, just for everybody, he was an odd fella. And Phil knows just how odd Tom was because he was your brother in law for a period of time, wasn't he? Back but he was a, an amazing artist. He was an amazing he artist. Was and there was a. Very talented. There was a bit where um, Gerard Arthur Connolly, in his airshipman's garb from an alternative 1970s, was sitting on a rock smoking a woodbine in the snow with a massive airship overhead. And we always wanted Tom. Yeah, we always wanted Tom to do that illustration. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, he went off to be bizarre elsewhere. Yeah. We never saw him much after that. He headed down the moonbeam road. That's right. Wherever he, he ended up. Yeah. Um, Ilkley. Pro- yeah, it's <laughs> it happens. Yeah, we found many years yeah. later. Yeah, in Ilkley, yeah. Yeah. weirdly hanging out with Rose Van Beck. Yeah, yeah. So spotted in, spoons. Spotted <laughs> in spoons in Ilkley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I never really had that much of an experience with, with uh, Mocock games. But, of course, we, we, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, yeah. we kind of bonded over Mocock to some degree yeah, we when did. we first met. I think it was a combination of Moorcock, iced tea, and a really cheap bottle of Tartan Prince one Christmas Eve. <laughs> Very possibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah it was terrible. Tartan Prince. Oh, Tartan Prince. I mean, I, th- I think we are in a stage these days where uh, um, supermarket spirits are actually quite decent, but yeah, yeah. not in those days. I think it was quick serve Tartan Prince. Yeah. And uh, Even by its very name, it yeah. conjures up an image of yeah. uh, rotting livers, possibly yeah. a lot of sick. No yeah. other thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I called on you on Christmas Eve with a bottle of Tartan Prince, and uh, we drank it all in about an hour and a half. Then I had your own. You went to pub to meet Neil, <laughs> and, oh, and I had it wake up until about four pm Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, oh, what can I say? I was young and reckless. Yes, and we don't advocate any of that. No, stuff. We we're old, so yeah. in those days, well, yeah. everybody was doing it. Even the police were doing it in them days. If you got pulled over, the police were smoking. Smoking twenty Dunhill at once <laughs> and, in one hand and, and drinking from a bottle of white and Mackay, so it was a different time. Yeah, I've got to ask: Did you keep drinking with Neil then when you met him? No, I would have thought so. Yeah. I probably passed out at some point. <laughs> I think we we used to go to um we used to go to Spiders every time we went on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. But Christmas Eve, I remember once 
because my sister used to go as well, and I, I don't think I got up till about four o'clock on Christmas Day either. <laughs> and my mum kept just checking I was alive. I was probably covered in sick as well, to be mm. fair. But you know, yeah. great Christmas. It wouldn't be the first or the last <laughs> time, would it? <laughs> Certainly not. Yeah. I puked in many countries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but it, it was really good getting into into Mocock gaming for the first time. Until um, I started to realise just just how far they had to go to make it any good. Because the original Calcium Hartman box set, which once again. It was just a bit crap, but the story is well told that the manuscript was lost, and Kerry Campbell Robinson or Robson had to write it. Yeah, I mean that—that's the pr- practically overnight to to meet the deadline. Yeah, we've all done that. You know, but that's a bit like the dog at my own work. It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a, I'm not entirely yeah. convinced. She still came up with a science book. I'm not having that. Yeah, um, it it was poor, and there was a lot of white space. I think the the main problem with with the whole Hot Moon role playing game that edition of it. Because the it was massively popular in France, wasn't it? Yeah, but um, it was a different game yeah, and they started by building on it, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they started building on it, and I think it's probably the English with the bad guys, which is always a winner, isn't it? Oh like yeah, in Europe. Yeah, but um, it was there, there was a lot of that enclave of scientists mm. hanging out doing, yeah, you know, two well modern day rubbish, yeah. and it's just it's so not tragic millennium, is it? Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that's that was the major problem with the Hot Moon game. They tried to make it too, too many modern elements. I tried to make it too post-apocalyptic. Yeah, very much when, so. When it shouldn't be, which is why the Shattered Isle was yeah, so bad. Yeah, because shattered so pants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was terrible. So I, sp- I suppose at this point um, we've been talking about this for a while, but there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who aren't gamers. Yes. So we probably need to summarise for them very quickly. What the fuck we're talking about when we're talking about a role playing game? Right, Phil, your first ever role playing game experience was actually um, dropping into Loz's epic Eternal Champion focused um, role playing campaign when I took over for a while and it all went through a bizarre interlude. What is role playing? Is that an unfair question? <laughs> what is role playing? What is role playing to me? Yeah, is where a group of individuals like-minded individuals get together to create their own story which is directed by one person the games master games master and, yeah and that's probably uh, the aspiration isn't it yeah however yeah. the practicality of it is yeah. very much not that in reality yeah. it's more like a bunch of people sit around the table trying to figure out what the games master is intending the story to be and generally getting it horrendously wrong. Or, or, drunk. or sadly, has uh, been on the absinthe for the last hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. And can see through time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and forgotten everything they planned. So it's a blend of all those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. And there's a lot of different things, because the stories have different outcomes, they have different motivations, mm. and it's yeah. where you're going, and how much it interests you. Because we've played so many different ones, mm. with so many different people. And the some that just fire you more. Yeah. Tales from the Loop. I loved. I love being a child. That's funny that one. So I'll I'll redo that again because I've got it all done. Mm. If you liked it that much, so I tried to play it with the kids. But this is it. How some stories yeah. just engage you much more than others, and it's and also creating your own character. You build. You make that person your own. Yeah. So is, in in many ways, you would think that it would suit more cock material. 
And, you know, actually Moorcock did massively influence things like Dungeons and Dragons and he was ripped off wholesale by Games Workshop for things like Warhammer and Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay yeah. and all that business. Um, but it's that idea of being able to create an avatar and have a little bit of escapism and, you know, the game elements are kind of bolted on and we won't go too much into those. But it's a shared experience, it's a shared narrative where you create a story which has built upon a framework that the person leading it has, has kind of established. Oh, no, okay. Um, drinking a series of um, Benedictine, absinthe, and chartreuse um, elixirs along the way, but not, not necessarily. I don't think it in, conducive. It, no, but think, entertaining. I think, the, I think the difference is it's quite interesting because you you came into it Phil as a, as an adult, mm-hmm. and you probably got a completely different perspective on what role playing games. When we played as kids at D and D, for example, for me it was uh, it, you remember the fighting fantasy books. Choose your own adventure kind mm. of stuff. Yeah. That that was kind of the next level. So I started playing the you know fortress, uh, sorry, the forest of doom and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And the next level, because because me and all my mates really like the books, was well, I've heard there's a game called Dun- Dungeons and Dragons, so let's try that. But when when you play it as a kid, uh, speaking for myself, the narrative storytelling is not there. It's all about because I didn't GM or anything. I just played. And it was just a dungeon. You just like right. It's almost like a board game, yeah, but with more complicated rules. So that that was that. We've never played that style, have we? No, and mm. and I think was I started doing that, and it wasn't really doing it for me. Mm. And I took over GMing because I'm annoying like that. And um, and uh, the next game was Map, which was Middle Earth role playing game, and that was yeah. a bit more storytelling wise. Mm. But I think. Playing as an adult now, because we had a break of, what, 20 years, yeah. was it? So uh, no, not quite that long, but not? maybe 14, 15 years. Yeah, 14, 15 years of not playing a game at all. So it was different when we were playing when we were 15, 16. Then I didn't play for ages, then mm. I met you guys, mm. met you and Robbo, and we started playing again as... And, and that was a completely different dynamic as well, wasn't it? Because we generally smoked a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. say different... Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and in fact, that's that's how we met, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, for one reason or another, yeah, that's how we met. We um, and I think that that, that <laughs> within an hour of meeting and um, sharing uh, the wealth, yeah. we realised that we were gamers and decided to put something into action. Yeah. And I think our, our memories do differ as to what was the first game that that I ran for you. Was it Twilight Two Thousand, or was it? Um, that original Delta Green Convergence game from issue four of the Unspeakable Earth. I think it was the Delta Green game because I remember. Uh, sorry, uh, it was the Twilight Two Thousand game because me and Neil had a clue about yeah. anything to do with armies. We had no clue, but the Delta Green one was was Ace. Yeah. I think that got us onto a different path when yeah. we started doing the modern day kind of X Filesy stuff. Yeah, you? and that's when you created your game and Newton Newell. Um, yeah, and who was Neil? Steve Truman. Steve and um, the epic and always to be remembered um, Magic Paul playing Gavin Hamilton. Was he Colonel Gavin Hamilton? Which yeah. I think is probably my favourite other PC that anybody has ever played. That's, That's great, though. It's an awesome you game. Seen... You should have seen the picture he chose. Yeah, so what, oh, was really? wonderful. what we did with that game, it was like, right, let's pick a, let's pick a random photograph. And we do that now, don't yeah. we, with the games. But it was... Gavin Hamilton's picture was absolutely legendary. Yeah. It was brilliant. So if you think about, you know, going back to the role playing thing, you're almost playing a hero, aren't you? In yeah. most of the games, unless it's really low powered, but mostly you're playing a hero. 
So it's like, right, who do I want to play? Do I want to play like James Bond character? Do I want to play this? You know, so you look at heroic pictures and go, oh, that, that might be me. Not Magic Paul. No. Oh, he had the whole world to choose from to pick a picture and he picks... <laughs> I can't even describe it. Probably, um, probably the somewhat slightly overweight, heavily balding head of accounts <laughs> on the third floor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somewhere or other. Drone from Sector 7G. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, kind of wonderful. It was fantastic. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so that's it is really interesting the way you described it because that's how we want it to be, I think, yeah. when, you, when you're writing a game and all that kind of stuff. And as I said, probably 5% successful out of, out of all that because yeah. 95 of it. I think our when we started playing again after the fourteen years, we obviously drink heavily when we play, and that's that was the difference. I think so. For, from my point, yeah, of view. it was a big shift, wasn't it? Yeah, we, we we didn't play for fourteen years, and whereas we used to smoke heavily, the first time we played again in fourteen years, um, I decided to go for something that I thought would be simple and easy to relate to, which is nineteen uh, thirties Austria with dodgy. German ancestral society villains yeah. and sewers, and everybody could relate to that. Um, unfortunately, before we even started, we'd had about 14 Manhattans each because we decided to theme it. <laughs> yeah. So we'd had a shitload of Manhattans and a load of pork pie, and the game lasted about 90 minutes before someone failed to roll pick lock. Everything ground yeah. to a halt. Because you, you forget how to run it as well, don't you? you, so, do. you so you write it again, right? This character needs, you know, we need to get to this, but. But you've got four, it's the equivalent of a film, isn't it, where you've got four four actors just stood in front of a locked door going, oh, that's that fucked, isn't it? Yeah. What should we do now? Yeah. And, and, just, uh, just, yeah, just, and as the GM, I was so pissed. I, I, just, I just lost the will to live and had no way out of it. Um, so you <laughs> took over the next time and we tried again, didn't we? With World War II Call Cthulhu with Yaki and Neil. Oh, that was terrible. And that it? degenerated into an hour-long, prepara- an hour-long drunken preparation arguing about whether... A paratrooper could parachute onto Crete disguised as a monk and still have his glued on beard stay in position. Yeah. And there were various alternative viewpoints. Yeah, I think we, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a heady argument, wasn't it? Yeah, it went horribly wrong, didn't it? And, and, and Neil swore off gaming again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for another six years. And I drank a bottle of red wine and pukes in your book. You did. <laughs> and um, I thought I'd got it all, but Phil had to clean the rest off the tiles for the following day. When I came back, rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, apologies for that. This is how we roll, people. And then I think we, uh, yeah, we brought it around, didn't we? With uh, did we? Did we? You bring see, it this is the thing. I I avoided it a because I was a bit worried about the talking aspect, and and also because I didn't know about the dice roll and all the different yeah. dice. You used to go and sit in front room, didn't you? And yeah. watch TV going, fucking nerds. No, I didn't. That's <laughs> you do, you, you no. do your nerd shit. But I remember yeah. coming we through <laughs> the night that you all had absence. Yeah. And it was like everybody was a zombie to look at. It's like, how are you playing? Yeah, well, we were. By that point. <laughs> yeah, that was the culmination of uh, two years of preparation uh, of getting this game sorted out, yeah. which descended into. Although we do have disagreements about how the timeline of all that worked, yeah. because you'd started playing before that. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. you were playing the middle portion that I was running. You say I still disagree that I played before... Before Absinthe. Absinthe, yeah. 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 Oh, you did, for definite. So yeah. Loz is the final arbiter of this, because we've had this conversation already. What, that you played before Absinthe, Kate? Yeah, you did, yeah. Yeah, but for whatever reason, you didn't play that night when Paul was playing. No, yeah. I was in the front room. Was that because we got Paul back in? I, I don't know, I can't remember. But anyway, 
So we've we'll established what, what games are. But I'm glad I've made that leap. Because oh, yeah, I well, have really you've, enjoyed Really, it. you've never missed a game since then. No, have I haven't. You? And we've played Tales from the Loop, we've played D&D, we've played... Well, we've played all sorts of bloody things. Neil's Run Mothership, we've run yeah. Call of Cthulhu, Trailer Cthulhu. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, 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 it's been good. Right, I, I saw you just waving a beer there, Loz. So we, yeah. just, we need to take a slight break. We're just going to take a look at what we've got now. We're celebrating, to some degree... Belatedly, my birthday and Loz's 50th. And my yeah. friend Stu and Sarah gave me some disgracefully strong beers. So we're going to crack on now. So Loz, what have we got? Well, this one is rather enigmatically called Quadruple with Brandy and Raisins. Yeah. Now, I don't even know what that is. Quadru- well, I think, I think it's called what? North 2019. Oh, right, okay. Compass series. So what is a quadruple? I have absolutely no idea. Maybe, it's just, maybe, maybe they just fucked up on the label. Yeah, but it is. Unfortunately, because I am fifty, I can't read any of the writing. Yeah, so it's quadruple with brandy and raisins, and let's see what we've got on the back. This beer has been brewed by Brow Summit Summit Linnestrat Breeder, um, and it's got ingredients right. So that's, that's fine. that cleared it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just say happy birthday, clear. Loz. So let's find out. And happy birthday, Andy. Thank you very much. Then happy birthday we'll to you. Those pops afterwards. So and also it's ten percent. Yes. So, God Ooh. help us. Yeah, the horror. Mm. It can't be any worse than that challenging beer we had last time. Which was which, disgraceful. Oh, I've, tried to, I've tried to suppress the memory. Which was disgusting. I can't remember what it was. We, we end up pouring that away, don't we? Yeah, and that's unlikely for us, isn't it? Right. Cheers. Yeah, let's go for it. And what are you drinking, Cheers. Phil? I am drinking Tinnamon's Framboise Lambicus. Okay, some 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 mighty face pulling there, Lars. Let's, let's get in there. Let's see. Oh, <laughs> Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> why? Why do people create these things? What? What's your first? For the love of thought? sweet Jesus and the orphans! Why? You, you've both got very different faces. So, Loz, what's your? Well, I was hoping coming out the fridge, it might take some of the pain away. It really hasn't, has it? No, it's like if someone took special brew and um, macerated it in raisins and brake fluid. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. so you could recreate the drink if anybody wants to with a can of special brew, yeah. a handful of raisins, yeah. and possibly... In fact, I, to be fair, I'm going to revise that. I don't think it's even special brew. I think it's Tenant Super Strength. Yeah, 1080. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, what's that one? Kapaki 9. I think it's Kapaki 9 <laughs> with with raisins and... Uh, Brandy. Kapaki 9, what's that? Kapaki 9 is a hugely entertaining Polish lager that you get in some beer offs. Oh, right. That uh, is 9% and costs about 90p a can. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's hilarious. Remember when we were in the pub in oh, Hull and you bought the most expensive beer and none of you liked it? Yeah. Why, when I was in, just as an Fuck aside... Sake. Yeah, no, it's not good, is it? No. As I was saying, we we had this uh, in where I live. Uh, a bar was selling a a beer that was sixteen quid a pint. Yeah, and it would taste a bit like that. There's a place in Manchester which I'm really fond of, actually called um, Beatnik's Republic. Oh yeah. And last time I was in there, you know, they have the the price up there, and and you look at it because you're from you're from all, and you look at it. And it, says, <laughs> it says five pound eight. You think, all right, great, five pound eighty a pint, but then you miss the small print which says for a third. Yeah. So I I said, uh, oh. I was, I was there with a few people said, all right, let, let's try that one. So I said, it's expensive, but fuck it, it's my round. So I said, oh, four pints of that then. They said, pints? I said, 
what are you on about? He said, well, that's for a third. I was like, ooh, oh, <laughs> fuck it, all right then. And it was, uh, and, I got, and I got four thirds of this mushroom sour. <laughs> oh, that even sounds wrong. <laughs> mushroom sour. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And uh, funny enough, I'd, I'd got a taste for lambics by this point, largely from us going out drinking and drinking yeah. lambics, but, yeah. but also... Um, being in weird places with Pat and Windy and ordering those share bottles of, of, of stuff for 25 quid. So so I really liked it, but they all just drank a bit of like, Ugh! so I ended up getting all of it. So I'm really pleased that I got to drink a pint and a third of Mushroom Sour, but it did cost me over 32 quid. <laughs> <laughs> That's an expensive pint, isn't it? For, oh, yeah, it is really. It's so an expensive standards. pint and a third of sour mushroom beer. <laughs> yeah. And that sounds like something out of a horror film, isn't it? Like to be fair, beer. this is this is something that I would expect to get in Nadsakar City of Beggars. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. probably drink mushroom wine as well. Very don't probably. They? Yeah. Right. So in order to take my mind off this challenging brew, <laughs> currently got, got it's a minger, isn't it? In front of me, I've got um, my copy of Stormbringer Third Edition, the Games Workshop edition of the uh, the Michael Moorcock role playing game, and it's set in the world of Elric, which obviously felt a bit. So I've got it rebound by some. A very nice company in uh, in Leeds, and it's it's quite tidy now with a nice stitch binder and a reading ribbon. But I was having a look through this earlier on, and thinking, right, what is the deal with Mocock role playing games, and where does it start to go wrong? So it's all it's all fairly good for a start with because you get a description of the world, a description of the nations, and Melnibane and all this business, and then you get to Barter in the Young Kingdoms, and we're only about 10, 12 pages into the the meat yeah. of this yet. And then we get value of coins. Two small bronze equals one large bronze equals one US dollar. So instantly I'm thinking, right, okay. There was an element of um, simulationism to some games in in the 80s, wasn't there? And straight away I'm thinking, ah, they might be slightly missing the point here. But anyway, I'll I'll give them a pass. And then the following page, we've got price list. Hammer, two large bronze. (laughs) (laughs) Read pen. Two large bronze. A reed pen. A reed pen. Not a pen that reads. A clear vase. One small bronze. How many games have you played where you've had to buy a vase? A well, clear vase. A, a clear a clay, vase. Clay. Yeah. Clay. Clear vase. That's three bronzes probably. <laughs> yeah. And Why you know, would you need a vase? I, I do remember playing D&D in the early 80s when you, you get your starting money and you go to the price list and you think, right, shall I have a glaive gizam or a, or a falchion and yeah. all that nonsense. Yeah. But I never then thought... to look at what one yeah, is. Ten foot pole with a mirror on the yeah. end, you know, all that nonsense. Clay vase. But never at any point did I think, <laughs> right... I need uh, a clay vase. Yeah. I need a cape of linen. Oh, maybe I did. I don't know. Um, I need a beef cow. A beef cow. A beef cow. Not as a person. Specifically a beef cow. Not just a cow. Not just a cow, a beef cow. What the hell's a beef cow? Yeah. Um, a cylinder seal for 30 large bronze. I'm not sure I need one. Um, and then, you know, then we get into all the other stuff like him. Um, it, it then quickly goes into large items with, um, and there's a list. Hovel. <laughs> How much is a hovel? <laughs> a thousand large bronze. Oh, that's quite good. And they've got three room house, five room house, twelve room villa, palace, what? fortified what castle. What kind of game is this? Well, it's brilliant. Just yeah. listen to this list. Hovel, three room house, five room house, twelve room villa, palace, fortified castle, acre of farmland, robot, <laughs> two man canoe. <laughs> and then it leaps straight to Tarkesh merchant ship and war galley. The thing is, with that, you know, so you've got your opening gambit, you know, right, you're in the Young Kingdom. Yes. Yeah. You, you you go to the Purple uh, the purple Towns, whatever it's called. Yeah. And go, 
Yep, so so this is the game. Yep. I'll have a two-man canoe, yep. a c- couple of clay vases. We're not even up to character generation. Yeah, yeah. We're still talking about the world. It's like, right, how do we get people sucked into the world of Elric and the Young Kingdoms? But why would you buy Price a house? Price of a two-man canoe. Yeah. Why would you buy a house? You're going on an adventure. This is again another Unless thing about... Unless it was set in your house. Yeah, this is another thing about <laughs> old, old gaming though, isn't it? That um, D&D back in the day, once you got to a certain level as a fighter, you would get things like strongholds and all this business. And it's still the case now. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, Paul, lapsed gamer. I'm going to reference you here, and I, I apologise in advance. But it's still the case now that some of the people I've pl- played with when I played Pathfinder, it's very much that part of the thing in between games where they count up the coin and buy things for their character. Which is really cool. It's, you know, there's like sort of lists. You're building up the mythos around your character and stuff like that. So if you get to the point where you've got all this bronze, because obviously Michael Mocock stories are all about that dude who amassed so much money, he could buy a fortified castle and as many two-man canoes the, the as his money could buy. If you, if you go back to the stories, so when Moonglum appeared on this scene, a lot of their adventures were pretty much Moonglum going... Elric, you've spent all the money on magic beans, yeah, because he was the accountant, wasn't he? Well, this this is, and, but this is a classic thing about um, sword and sorcery, or or um, Mocock didn't call it sword and sorcery, did he? What did he call it? He called it um, fantasy, whatever. What did Mocock call sword and sorcery? Fritz Leiber coined sword and sorcery. I think Mocock referred to epic fantasy or whatever he called it. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, that goes all the way back to Conan. The, the entire point of any kind of story like this, and you get it in some role-playing game systems, is the entire point of it is you amass treasure, but once you start the next game, it's all gone. Yeah. Because that was every Conan story, and it's also every Elric story. It doesn't matter what happened the week before, or yeah. what position they were in. By the time you start the next one, they're skint again, because they spent it all on magic beans, moon pies, penny whistles... Clay vases. Clay vases. And two-man canoes. And two-man canoes. Um, Elric had loads of them. Just yeah. he amassed them. Yeah. Moving them was like, what, you know, we've got four. Why do we need more two yeah. man canoes? Yeah, and our canoes were accoutred in the style of a southern barbarian. Yeah, exactly. Looked like Burks. <laughs> Garish yeah. canoes. Yeah. So we, uh, we, we continue a little bit and we get some conventions of, of FRP gaming and other bits and pieces. And then we randomly get some, some sample summonings. And it's, they're basically quotes from the books, which, um, if I'm going to quote from the Elric books, Probably the last thing I'm going to do to sucker people in and say this is brilliant is uh, is is reprint the summoning of Strasher, Lord of the Waters, which I think we found hugely entertaining in its crapness when we did yeah. it at Melnibonair. Waters of the sea, thou gave us birth, and were our milk and mother birth in days when skies were overcast. You who were fire shall be the last. Rhymes. That's good. That's yeah. a good start. Sea rulers, father of our blood, thine aid is sought. Thine aid is sought. You did this in Sean Connery style. I did, actually. yeah, yeah, and I think it, it enhanced the whole piece. <laughs> yeah, your salt is blood. Our blood, your salt. Yeah. And um, actually, we've got some excellent typos here. Uh, your blood is salt. Our blood, you salt. You blood, the bud of man. Yeah, that didn't work. Yeah, does it? Fuck that even Sean, fuck that right up. Even man. Sean Connery can pull that one off. <laughs> yeah, shame on you, Games Workshop. You it's blood, the bood twister. of man. Strasher, eternal kind, eternal sea, thine aid is sought by me. For enemies of thine and mine seek to defeat our destiny and drain away our sea. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got them all. It's got Mia Clara of the Cats. It's got Harsh Astark. <laughs> a lot of wizards. Say that lot. again. It's got a lot. Harsh Astark. A lot of wizards. Your children were fathers of men. Harsh Astark. <laughs> Prince of reptiles, come here to grandchild now. 
Harsh, harsh, harsh. Father of scales, cold-blooded bringer of life. And then it says in brackets, verse unfinished in text, but in the same vein, must be repeated many times as harsh, arse, dark. It's very slow-witted and sluggish to respond. What was the... Because um, that's a classic, that one. What yeah. was the, I don't know, the element of insects or bees or whatever it was? Oh, yeah, so yeah, something That like was that. like a... Um, yeah. Of the insect folk. Yeah, that one. King with wings. Lord of all that work and are not seen, upon whose labours all else dis- depends. Nur cooker of the insect folk, <laughs> I summon thee. I can imagine both of those two were summoned very often. You know what, I'm changing my mind. I'm all into this shit now. I fucking love it. Yeah, but just imagine if you've had a couple of cocktails and several beers. Yeah, yeah we have. So yeah, yeah. I yeah. can imagine it already. Yeah, no, matter, no, matter, no matter how much mood you're trying to implement with this and how I'm trying to establish. Yeah. Once you've had a drink and you you throwing this shit around, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be atmospheric, is it? No. <laughs> it's not. Is it? You don't even gonna be able to say it. I can't even say it now. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> this beer is nasty. Man. It's making me sweat. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but I'm really enjoying seeing your two faces. Oh man! <laughs> right. So now 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 we get onto characters, and we've, because it's based on BRP and it's based on RuneQuest, everything is tables. So, Phil, pick a number between 1 and 25. 12. 12. So, Phil, your size is 12, which means your height in inches is between 69 and 70 inches. What's that? Brackets, in? 171 to 175 centimetres. What's that in feet? 5 foot 9. And depending on whether you're light, medium, or heavy in build, you could be anywhere... Oh, God, I'm not even fucking reading no, it. No, no. Fuck that shit. So, then we get on to other bits and bobs. It's basically all classic Chaosium stuff, this. But then we get to character nationalities. And this is where I start to think, right, if I'm going to roleplay in a Moorcock-themed game, let's get really down to the meat of what my character's going to be. So you get a table to pick where you come from. So it's a D100 roll, and you've got all all the various elements and places in, uh, in the Young Kingdoms. Okay, fine. That's fine. Whatever. And then you get a list of them all. And... When you get to the specific section, so let's go 2.2.10. Ilmayara. The people of Ilmayara are much like the people of Vilmia, but a little more, pl- a little more pleasant and manly. Oh, that's good then. I can't, oh, yeah. I'm glad I rolled on that. I can imagine that. What are the ones like Vilmia? Very much like uh, the people from uh, Old Hoban. Or... Yeah. Uh, oh, you've rolled out Argamilia, Phil. The men of Argamilia are of normal human stock. None of their attributes receive any modification. They have medium frames and generally dark brown hair. That's good to that's know. Ex- that's ex- yeah, that's yeah. some exciting but shit. But if you think if you think about the, the problem of writing a role playing game based on a book, so Michael Mockup, you know, the, the Young Kingdoms are very thinly described, yeah. aren't they? And it's like didn't stop them doing multiple source books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've got, and that was the thing is it's people's interpretation of like mm. three sentences. So, mm. so, you know, Elric goes to. Old Vilmia or wherever, yeah. and and basically probably in a tavern dresses a burke, yeah, uh, with Moonglum doing the accountancy, yeah. buying canoes, yeah, and it's basically so somebody's then gone, oh shit, you know, we're getting paid by the word, yeah, how can I flesh this out? Mm. And in this case, not so much fleshing, but it, this it, this is one of the problems with it, isn't it? In that, um, if I if I play uh, a Moorcock related role playing game. 
and I know this was one of Sarah's big beefs about playing Hawkman further down the line, was what am I going to play? If if I'm just if I'm just a guy, and I'm from Vilmia, fine. It's just a line. I'm from Vilmia. Whatever, yeah. whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know when you met all the um, the other warriors on on the uh, the blind steersman, the blind captain's ship. Yeah. Brute of Lashmar and all that lot. It was yeah. Brute of Lashmar. You knew it was of Lashmar. You didn't really need to know that the people of Lashmar generally were pot bellied with red hair and had a penchant for beat Welks. poetry. Yeah, and Welks. <laughs> beat poetry about Welks, yeah. specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's a source book in itself. But but then on, on, on the same page, you, you get a complete flip where all of a sudden they're applying system to these things. So you get the people of Org. Yeah, yeah. Org and so a squat, now bodies covered with thin black hair. Heavy body frames and their form of worship is an unmentionable ver- veneration of their deceased but undead ancestors. All right, okay, it's a paragraph, whatever. But then you got, roll 2d4 and subtract it from the power rating if it's 10 or more. Roll 2d4 and subtract it from the charisma rating if it's 10 or more. And this goes on for several more. Roll this and subtract it from X if X yeah. is something or and other. It, and it comes down to the fact that, so Org was, was that in Bane of the Black Sword? Yeah. Yeah, off the yeah. top of my head? Yeah. God, I'm a nerd. Yeah. Um, yes, you are. And and that's the thing, is it? So you you would read that story and go, yeah, that's that's a really cool story. If there's ever a game based on this book, I'd want to play one of these weird squat hunchback blarkers. To be fair, though, when we covered Elric and Melnibon, I did say that I want to do a game set in Oin and You. This is true. That's not that's not that. This one. is odd, but Oin and You have got similar things. Roll one d six and subtract it from the intelligence rating if it's ten or more. Roll 1d6 and subtract it from the dex rate. So basically, you roll a character, you think, fucking hell, I've got a great dex rating. Yeah, yeah. I've got great intelligence. Then yeah. you roll on the where you come from table and you subtract 1d6 from everything yeah, because they're all shit kickers. Yeah, you're all gone. Yeah, I've got it in my head. I'm going to be from here. It's going to be yeah. ace. He's quite clever. He's quite dexterous. No, sorry. Sorry, he's a thick idiot yeah. who, who can't put his own clogs on. Yeah, sorry, tough shit. Yeah. Um, you, can't play, you can't play what you want to play no. because the rules said that this person's got to be an idiot and, and that's just the background then you get yeah. to your your kind of oh well once you, once, once we prof- get to uh profession right so once you we just get wonder to... if that puts people off because that's kind uh, of this, losing this, this, this was a popular game at the time really? and i think it is quite gonzo in that if, if you follow the the role on tables approach to creating characters you could end up with a, a, a wildly powerful um hugely had to kill, like, um, sorcerer with a demon-bound cestus, or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Or you could end up with an Argian farmer. Yeah, who speciality is being a bit thick. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. on, on, on class background, Phil, uh, roll on class background, but get 89 to 90. What did you get? 89. 89. Um, you're a beggar. Excellent. Oh. You're a beggar. Um, uh, well, actually, if you roll 64, don't worry, because you're a farmer. Awesome, and and that's How the thing. That but that all, but that's the whole thing with with Stormbringer and a lot of the role playing games is they're trying to make a D and D style game based on a book. So, it's, yeah. and that's the, so the what they're doing here is they're using RuneQuest as a base and they're yeah. bending RuneQuest. Yeah, yeah. To, to Michael Moorcock, and it's a completely different the the whole thing. The the whole goal for a Moorcock game shouldn't be you start off as a farmer. Yeah. And you build up experience point experience points so you end up with a farmer who's really good with a pitchfork and you've got 
enough bronzes to buy two canoes. You know, mm. that's not the game, is it? You mm. know, if you, if you want to play that type of game, play something else. Yeah. You, whereas if you're going to play Stormbringer, you know, the world's on the cusp of collapse. You've got gods who are trying to basically manipulate everybody who's on the planet. You've got an insane albino who's got a sword that sucks people's souls out who's yeah. on a bit of a bender. Yeah. You've got, you know, an empire that's just been destroyed by said mental emperor. And it's all that kind of stuff. That's that's the game, isn't it? And it's yeah. like how does your character how does your character actually navigate through that or yeah. actually manipulate what's happening? So so at the end of Stormbringer, which we've not covered, but you know Yeah, we'll it, get to that in about twenty thirty. Yeah, so it doesn't end well, to be honest. So I'll just I'll just say that. But your character, yeah, no, that beer is nasty, isn't it? Mm. Your character wants to be, you know, on that boat or on that particular part of the Young Kingdoms as it's just about to collapse and have some kind of agency yeah. of what's going to happen. Yeah. Or you fuck off to a different plane yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I'll give another example of, of why it kind of completely misses the point for me. And again, this is another reason why it's really it's it's an alteration of, of RuneQuest. Before I get into something that actually starts that actually starts to interest me, and I, I get quite yeah. excited about and and want to play, because while I agree um, with what you just said, also I I also think that you know what, if you want to play a RuneQuest game, but have it in the Young Kingdoms and be a Phil Carey and Pike man, hmm. you know what, fill your boots, have a great time. Yeah, and I'm not saying that I wouldn't enjoy playing a game like that. I just don't think it captures the spirit of Mocock. No, I don't, I don't think it's more cocky in gaming. And we'll get to the bit on nationalities and religions. So when we're going through the Elric books and the Elric stories, the idea of the Lords of the Higher World and the Lords of Chaos and the Elementals and all that business, you kind of get this feel that the Elementals are vastly ancient and, and they only yeah. turn up because Elric summons them because he's read books that are yeah. thousands of years old. And he's supposed to have this, the Maldivians have that pact, don't they? That's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he's, re- he's read all these dusty old books in his in his the studies in, in the yeah. Dreaming City. Um, whereas in this, well, you know what? Every fucker and the dog is is, is worshipping yeah, yeah. these things. It's so, the dog elements. Yeah, if, if you're from Ilmayara, you worship the elementals, Arkin and Domblas. So we're talking about. So now all of a sudden everybody's got temples and churches. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's it's Rune Quest with the names filed off, and that doesn't feel Markokian either. However, then we get to the best bit. So if you rolled beggar or chose beggar, you get to roll on the afflictions table. Excellent. Oh, I rolled, amazing. I've have we got any beggar. dice? No, but we have got the, the cards. cards. The cards. So what we have here. Is a pack of cards that Phil realised she got me for my birthday, but then and misplaced. Really cool, and they're really cool. Mm. They have uh, they're they're from Inked Adventures. Uh, look them up on Etsy because they're brilliant, and they have a number of different things on them, which include um, dice rolls for a d twenty, a d six, or a d one hundred. Actually, act as actual cards, and they also have dungeon segments on them. And the one I'm looking at straight away off the top of the pile is the Cess and Filth pile. Which I think is quite appropriate. But anyway, Phil, pick a card for your affliction. Interactive podcasting. Oh, let's go. It's not for I've got it. You got it? So on the D hundred, what have you got? Sorry, on the D twenty. I Phil gonna have to rush you. I've on. got the Joker. No 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 no. Yeah. The D twenty there look. Yeah. I don't oh you've got the Joker. So that means you have good luck. So you can draw two more cards and pick one. Excellent. Take two. 
pick the best one, although in reality I'll just tell you what the both are and then you can choose which affliction you get. Oh, 13 and 19. So 13, you can either be missing a foot <laughs> or you can be grossly thin, little more than a living skeleton. Which one do you go for? I, I would go for the skeleton. I'd go for the skeleton, skeleton. as well. Skeleton every time. Yeah. Yeah. Having a foot missing is just not going to be good for... I mean, it's all right. ...from running away, is yeah. it? Yeah, it's okay. What about 19? 19 is living skeleton. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so the thing is, if you've got a missing foot, do you also get an advantage of, like, cheap shoes? Because <laughs> you've already got... <laughs> well, you know what? This is what you have to role-play out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, so, so Loz, how, you, how your cl- turn. How many clogs have you got? Um, go with that one. Uh, I've got 17. 17? Bald and scabby. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah. Rude. Yeah, so you were bald and scabby. Just um, for people who don't know me, I'm not bald or scabby. Yeah. Well, and I've got hair. I'm, I'm going to pick one. I'm just going to go with a Sess and Filth Pile card, which is a 20, which means I am mentally retarded. Brilliant, which I think you can actually say now. No, um, it's it's showing its age, (laughs) slightly. Um, So yeah, you're all 20, you are mentally retarded, and you subtract 1d6 from intelligence. So the thing is, if if you were actually a a beggar from Org, Org. you could end up with the the equivalent of a really stupid village idiot. That's right, well, you could actually end up in negative figures. Yeah, exactly. Which is basically, what would that entail when you play it? That would entail just simply being wheeled around in, in a wheelbarrow. You couldn't participate, could you? No. Especially if you got one foot as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've rolled up my character, I rolled 11 intelligence, and then I end up being from Org, so I subtract <laughs> 1d6 and I roll a 5, which means I'm down to 6. Then I roll mentally retarded <laughs> on the afflictions table, and my intelligence is going to be somewhere between 0 and 6. Because you okay. have to roll a d6. And this is another example of how gonzo this game is. And terrible terminology aside, I think this might be my favourite table I've ever come across in, in any game. I kind of love it. It's astonishing though, isn't it? It's yeah. like, how mentally retarded. It's mentally like, retarded. How can you even come up with such... I don't know. And then there's a whole section on difficulties of being a beggar, which I assume outlines stuff that you know is secondary to being... Mentally retarded, lacking a foot, grossly... What we've got? We've got cataract, half-blind, missing an ear, dumb or tongue missing, missing an eye, missing a nose, okay. Tooth decay and bad breath. Yeah, okay. that's right. paper from hole, pretty much. Yep, yeah. open sores, <laughs> leprosy, haemophilia, scurvy, missing 2D4 fingers. <laughs> Which means potentially you could just... With just the one finger. Just the one finger on each hand. Yeah, I would flick the Vs at you, yeah. but I've only got one finger. Missing a hand, missing a foot, missing an arm, missing a leg, missing an arm and a leg. Bald and scabby, grossly fat. Surely that should be a character choice. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm GM, I am grossly fat. Uh, living skeleton and mentally retarded. Um, if you roll the same number twice for an affliction, you just have it really bad. <laughs> is what it says. Subtract one additional point from all attributes except size. Oh. Well, yeah, that, but that's the thing, isn't it? So, so not that's you. That's your thing, right? I'm going to play a beggar, which is an unusual choice. Or you roll it, you become a beggar. Yeah. So you end up with a one-armed beggar. What kind of adventures are you going to get up to? Yeah. I'm kind of amused by this, though. In the difficulty of being a beggar, section it says, those players who enjoy a challenge may get a special kick out of attempting to beat the system and win with a character who is blind, deaf, or partially crippled. 
Any triumphs won with such a character would be correspondingly greater than those won by normal characters. If you do choose to play a beggar, you have my condolences and best wishes. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm actually starting to like this book. Now. Yeah. And, and then, of course, you get to that point where, because, it, because it's the Chaosium system, everything's about skills. And you, I think you've often um, been amused by the fact that systems that use this system have things like dance yeah, yeah. So and you, uh, and and the the stat blocks, which is the list of capabilities of characters from the books, have dance thirty nine percent. Yeah, yeah, and and exa- and you've got stuff like pottery or yeah twenty five percent. Well, there's a brilliant example of this coming up now because we've started talking about skills. So and it says, if the GM calls on your character to exercise a skill that he doesn't have at some time in the course of play, you may assume that rudimentary skill and knowledge gives the character a rating equal to the appropriate ability bonus in that unknown skill. So obviously you've got to be a game nerd to even engage yeah, with yeah. this. But there's a brilliant <laughs> example. Me, but yeah, there's a brilliant ahead. example. It says, if you make the skill roll for the character, he acquires the beginning of that skill and may improve it with further skill rolls in later adventures. And here we go. And what you need to do as I read out this example is envision, is, is imagine the scenario in that Elric book that this is drawn from. Okay? Yeah. Merak Gren is called upon to make his not-untying skill in order to open a treasure chest. Merak had never learned anything about knots, but he has a manipulation bonus of 7%. His player rolls 1d100, getting a 5. Not only does he untie the knot, but he acquires the rudiments of the not-tying slash untying skill at 7%. When the adventure is over, he may roll to improve his skill with a 95% chance to improve, just as he would for any other skill successfully used during the adventure. Excellent. I have never, in a bazillion years, as a player or as a games master, thought for a second, does this game have a not-tying-slash-untying skill? Yeah. Maybe that's my mistake. Maybe I'm just not <laughs> doing it right. But I, I think Maybe I lack imagination. I think our games are probably... You know, not being as good as they could have been. Yeah, yeah. If we'd have had that, your uh, your shoes are tied together. Yeah. For example, when you weren't looking in a bar, how do I undo them? I haven't got the skill. <laughs> However, Merrick, he'd be going. Well, I've got seven percent. I'm, I'm bossing this. Yeah. I was going to fall headfirst into the fire, but no. Yeah. Then we we, we get wow. a, a wonderful <laughs> example of how to put it all together and and, and do character creation. So Merak Gren. Yeah. So we roll three six-sided dice for each of his attributes, which bear in mind, this this is a terrible thing that used to happen in role-playing game examples in the 80s. So your average is 9.5, whatever, with a 3d6 roll. So the first thing to do is get 3d6 and roll up his basic attributes. He gets Strength 14, Constitution 14, Size 17, Intelligence 13, Power 12, Dex 16, and Charisma 13. Does he? He's very lucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I call bullshit on that. (laughs) The dice have been very kind. He's obviously a superior character. He has a bazillion hit points. And then he rolls Argamiliaran's character nationality. And then he gets Assassin as his oh, class. Oh, it's all going brilliantly. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets lots of nice skills. And you end up with a really fantastic, uh, or potentially fantastic, Argamillion Assassin, which looks great. Um, he's got a desert bow, he's got an axe, he's got a broadsword, he's got a dagger. He's got 50 large bronze pieces. Of course he has. So he can afford canoes. two two-man canoes yeah. if, if required. He's bossing the canoes. And it, and it all looks brilliant. But you know what? It's in fucking Morcock, is it? No. It's not Morcock. And, that, and, that's, and that's Stormbringer. So, you know, we, we won't go into things like the stat blocks for the characters. 
which brilliantly our old favourite um, Divim Tarkan yeah. um, has balance of whatever it was. It was quite low, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, which I, th- yeah. I think is one of the best gags in the in the book. And i got to say, this was originally done by uh, Ken St. Andre, who did um, Tunnels and Trolls. And I love his writing. He has got a very amusing writing style, and I do like it, but yeah, it ain't Mocock. And we won't go on to the adventures, because my God, they are balls. <laughs> <laughs> they are absolute balls, yeah. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven adventures, six adventures in here, um, because it combines the original Stormbringer game and the Stormbringer Companion. And there was a point, I think I mentioned it to you, was I'm going to run Stormbringer 3rd Edition, I'm going to run one of the games from the rule book and just do it absolutely straight. Roll up all the characters, go as gonzo as we possibly can, and then I was I was all up for it, and then I read the adventures, and I went, nah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I can't well, bring myself to do life's it. Life's too short. Yeah. But the thing is, it, you know, there's not much point replicating a shit Stormbringer game, is there? No, not you, really. Yeah, if you're going to do a Mocock game, I might as well do a, a good one. Yeah. And then, so I'm, I'm looking Absolutely. at these games next to me, we've got... Stormbringer 4th edition, which, you know, some mild rewrites. We've got Stormbringer 5th edition, which is basically Elric! Exclamation mark. Um, With more white space and a larger font size, so it's twice as thick. Um, Yeah, and I think they only really start to get towards what I like in that stuff in the Dragon Lords of Melanibana D20 rules and the Elric rules for for RuneQuest 2. So I'm actually looking at five core rule books here, not even looking at any of the source books. And then the Coram book, which actually I think is really, really good. Yeah, it's great. Despite yeah. having a really crappy cover. Yeah, the cover's awful, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I don't mind the Coram bit, but what's all this? Yeah, it's... It's like first, a book. Yeah, yeah, first I thought it looked like holly or something. Then it's like rusted metal. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. But it's, fortunately, the interior illustrations are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I think, just just back to the Stormbrain thing, the, the, the main problem I had, apart from... Everything we've just discussed is the magic system was yeah. dog shit. Well, it was RuneQuest, wasn't yeah. it? And it was just like the fact that everybody in his dog had like a, a demon in their hat or yeah. shoes or yeah. a demon of running in, <laughs> in your shoes. It's like, hey, you haven't, have you? Because yeah. uh, that's stupid. Yeah. Or, you know, every, every weapon had a demon in it. It's like, and, and when you read some of the adventures, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's got like a. A demon of transport in his mm. in his ring. Is yeah. like, has he really? Well, yeah. Why? Why? Why would he do that? Yeah. It, it's just absolutely crap. Yeah, um, and and again, because it's basically a version of RuneQuest, that stuff's baked into RuneQuest. Yeah, yeah. So it's baked into RuneQuest that everybody is in a cult. Yeah. yeah. And everybody has um, kind of magical abilities uh, that are associated to that cult. So inevitably, it made its way into Stormbringer. Um, and yeah, and everybody has demon-bound weapons and various other odds and sods. I've opened a random page to uh, an adventure called The Eye of the Theocrat, and I've just happened upon stats for a bunch of thugs, a demon of combat, obviously. Yeah, a, uh, another demon of combat. Yeah, more demons of combat. Yeah, there's a lot of demons of combat in here, and the mysterious hat of Pat Ferrick. Yep, him as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's always going to be there. Yeah. And uh, the the prior adventure, Flom, Demon of Combat. Yeah, that's the adventure before the Iron Theater. Yeah. And here we are. Is uh, we've got Blovervia, the Demon Quarterstaff. Yeah, because yeah. I really remember reading the books and going, there's loads of 
people with demons, quarterstaffs and yeah. stuff like that, as opposed to magic was known by about four people. And the ones who did generally were a bit insane. We've got but... Hefel Dakar, <laughs> demon of teleportation. Yeah. Truncheus, guardian demon. Smeezoff. What, De- what the Smeezoff is, is a demon door. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at that point, you've lost me. It's yeah. like, bugger off. I don't want to play this. We've got Oozman, who wields Oozman's demon sword. I'm sure these could be very entertaining games, but once again, it, it just ain't my cock. So, I mean, all those years that we played um, that extensive campaign that ended with Absinthe, Absinthe Gate, Gate yeah. you used the Mongoose Heartland rules, didn't you? I did, yeah. And they were all right. They, yeah. I think the, the best thing about it is that. In the rules, you you could pick hero, blah blah blah. But there, there was four. Uh, you could pick veteran hero, something else, which made your characters a bit yeah tougher. Yeah, so you could have more points and yeah, so untie knots. Yeah, if necessary. Yeah, so you could have like you know maybe sixty percent in dance. And I think the, the rules were all right. They, they kind of worked for, for me. You know what I'm like with rules. I'm not that asked about them. Mm. I do remember though you very cruelly made um, Stu and Sarah roll to see what their characters were. Did I? Yeah. And Sarah ended up being a Muscovian horse handler. She did, yeah. <laughs> a really no, boring. Not, not a Muscovian horse warrior. No, no. A Muscovian horse handler of some description. Yeah, I, I can't well, remember exactly how it's described. Well, she, in the was, rules. she was the royal, the the royal horse woman of uh, some Muscovian somewhere or other. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, and Sarah was deeply disappointed that she was just basically a, an animal husbandry expert. Yeah, <laughs> and had really bad charisma, so she That's was right. a really boring. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, she got on with horses, but yeah, yeah. didn't work with anybody else. And Stu ended up being a bard with rubbish music skills. Yeah, he was a rubbish bard from uh, Paris, was yeah. it Paris? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got away with all this look because I played Gerard Arthur Connolly again. Yeah, because I'm lazy. So but th- didn't um. Yaki, what did he? He was Morton, was he? He was Martin Hackett. Yeah, which he thought was funny, and yeah. that wound me up. Yeah, that was you. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, um, and and actually, <laughs> one of the things I did, which will be barring evidence at the end of this this show, because I'm going to bung some on the end, is uh, when I wrote the Gerard, the, the Journal of Gerard Arthur Connolly, as like a, a contemporaneous account of, of yeah. the games, and then stopped fairly yeah. quickly afterwards. Uh, yeah, it, it endlessly entertained me. I, I had to change it to Martin of Harkett. Yeah, yeah. In the uh, in the write up, um, but of course we had uh, we had Robbo playing uh, Friedrich of Saarbrück and and Paul playing Vincent of Saarbrück, who ended up going on to really be the biggest villain of the entire game. Yeah, right? yeah, he, he really was, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, which was quite interesting. That yeah. Everybody hated him, mm. um, and Robbo's character, his brother, disappeared, didn't he? Yeah. Didn't you try and bring him back? And it, and it was there was a suggestion that actually Hartman got killed and Friedrich of Saarbrück was the no, eternal no, champion. So the beginning of the game was Hartman got killed yeah. straight away. That was the beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, no, Robbo's character. While you were because it ended up being a multiverse game where we left Tragic Millennium Europe quite yeah. early on, much yeah, which was probably a bad mistake, but that was part of the game. When he got back to 
uh, Choji Millennium, he was like a warlord fighting the Grand Britannians. Uh, He'd killed Melodius. Right, okay. So he wasn't Hawkman, but he was yeah. the equivalent. Yeah. Which, um, to be fair, if Robert can continue playing, I'm sure that's exactly how things would Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And then when we brought um, the villain of the piece back with a with an act of redemption, mm. he uh, went the other way and became even more of a villain. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. If you're listening, Paul, you yeah. really did go right off the reservation. Yeah. You you got in the car and drove across the reservation. <laughs> yeah. The reservation is a dot to you. Yeah. To quote friends. And uh, but it's it's all, it all ended up in 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 Absinthe Gate, yeah, where yeah. Martin of Harkett basically tried to kill himself. Yeah. Out of out of sheer depression and desperation at just just how badly wrong the game had gone. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty bad. It was yeah, but it was a, it was. A, it was actually an epic conclusion that will live long in the memory. Yeah, I, I think it was frustrating for Laz at the time, but for everybody else, it was completely hilarious. Yeah, no, it was hilarious. But, I think. You know, at least Paul puked the following morning. Yeah, was that, on the I was right pleased about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that made up for it somewhat. Yeah. Right, we're we're going to take a brief break for another beer break, um, and decide whether to pour this disgusting bilge <laughs> away and uh, and move to one of our other ten percent beers. And we'll be back shortly. Yeah. Okay, we're back. We just had a brief comfort break and we have recharged our glasses by um, disposing of um, the quadruple, whatever it was. Yeah. And we have now got Bearded Lady Dessert Edition. Bourbon, beer, imperial stout, chocolate, vanilla, cinnamon. Mmm, interesting. Sounds more All there is on the back is ingredients, so we won't go into further detail about that. Nothing about recycled, upcycled cocoa pops. Which is a disappointment. Which is a shame. Phil, you've gone on the vodka and coke. I certainly have. The uh, posh dolly. Yeah, we may end up joining you on the vodka and coke in a wee while and hit the, hit the wormwood vodka. But for now, cheers. cheers. Let's see what we've got here. Whilst it's a distinct improvement and it's very chocolatey, it is, isn't it? It still also tastes like it's got that that undertone of brake fluid, which I detected in the last one. <laughs> I think I'll probably get further into this one, but by God, it'll have to be quick because if it gets up to room temperature, it'll be fucking gross. Yeah, that, <laughs> it's it's very chocolatey. It yeah, is it's very lovely. Chocolatey. I wish I was just drinking chocolate, yeah. but you know what. We'll get into I wish it. I was drinking less of it. Yeah. You know, like a small thimble full. That would probably do me. Yeah. Um, maybe next time. Yeah. Well, just to let you know, the elite stall is really nice. Boo. <laughs> Splitter. Thanks for that. <laughs> right, so we, we've discussed um, what we think is uh, an example of why Stormbringer misses the mark. Um, afflictions table, notwithstanding. Yeah, obviously the Afflictions table was legendary. I, yeah. I think... Yeah, we've we've spent quite a bit of time on the negativity around what we feel is the problem with Stormbringer, mm. um, and which brings us to what do we think would make a good Morcock game? Mm. And I I was thinking about this earlier between sips of rancid beer. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I personally think that to do a Morcockian game, it has to be it can't be a one shot. It's better as a campaign, mm-hmm. and it's got to bring in all the the relevant flavors of of a Mocock 
campaign. I, I yeah. think it's got to be epic. If, if you're going to do a Mocot game, you've got to bring in the multiverse. You've got to bring in the Eternal Champion. You've got to bring in the, the gods of chaos and law, if that's the angle, mm-hmm. unless you're doing a Hawkman game. But then you've got the room stuff, etc. Yeah. But you've got to bring in all these these elements of the cosmic balance and everything, I think, just to make it relevant. Because otherwise, you might as well just play a really good D&D game or a really good Warhammer game yeah. or something like that. Because you you should have certain elements. For, for me, the characters need to be an eternal champion level character yeah. for me. So when we did the Hawkmoon game, the first thing, as we said, was to kill Hawkmoon off. Yeah. Just to put that, leave that gap in... Yeah, 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 that version of the tragic millennium, and, yeah. and it and it does seem a bit strange. But if you read some of the later books, so the last Elric book, the White Wolf Sun, mm-hmm. that's got Hawkmoon in it. Mm-hmm. Bit of a spoiler, but it's got Hawkmoon in it, and that's a different version of Hawkmoon. Yeah, which is which shows that all these different is versions, he a more charismatic version of Hawkmoon? Actually, no, no, well, he's, he's less <laughs> he's charismatic. doomed to be uncharismatic. He's kind of um, a shit version of Hawkmoon. So, oh. so he's kind of Hawkmoon who. Should I carry on in case there's any spoilers? Or uh, no, go for it. So, so basically, the hot moon in that version. We won't get to it for another fifteen no, no, years. Exactly. So, so the, the hot moon in that version is basically he didn't take the Mad God's amulet. Yeah. And because of that, Grand Britain basically sweep across the whole of Europe. Yeah. Um, and pretty much rule all of, all of Europe. Yeah. Elric appears in it spuriously. Yeah. The, the story shit, but yeah. the, the the version of the Tragic Millennium is quite interesting because it's it it's probably how we'd want to have written Hawkmoon. Right. So it brings like the Ornithopters are more steampunky. Yeah. So they've got engines, they've got bellowing smoke, they've got yeah. all that kind of stuff. Juan's there. They, there's a bit more around Londra mm-hmm. and trams and stuff like that. It just it brings a bit of colour to it, basically. Yeah, you... I really enjoyed all the bits because we kind of did a heist in Londra, didn't we? As part, we did, as yeah. your campaign. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed that, but I, I was always um, particularly aware at the time of I was the only player who... Who had any clue what was who, going yeah, on. Yeah, who read any, any of the Mocock books. And to everybody else, it was just it was just routine fantasy stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think... I think that that can work because when you said um, that ideally it shouldn't be one shots, it should be a campaign. I, I think the home campaign, Mocot campaign, um, is what I would love to do. I'd love to play it. I'd love to be involved in it. I'd love to run it for a while. And that's exactly what we did before. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was entirely successful because no. we were the only two people who really knew what the hell was going on in terms of the Mocotian yeah. elements. And I think we've commented before that sometimes when we run games, we're running them for each other. Yeah, yeah. So and everybody dropped... else at the table is kind of along for the ride. Yeah, so we dropped some stuff in that nobody else would get because they've no. not read the books. But yeah. I think, as I said, the first time I ran Hawkmoon, everybody ended up reading the books, mm. and it really helped because they got they got it. Yeah. They got the Grand Britain, were you know, knobheads, yeah. you know, and, the, and it was easy, easier for the people who never played fantasy before because it was set in Europe, yeah. you know, slightly different Europe, and you can twist it around, but that kind of works. But... The, the other game, the, the big mistake I made was moving us out of Tragic Money in Europe too mm. quick because for you it was all right. Mm. Everybody else was like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. I thought we were playing Hawkman. Yeah, and, and that, I think that was the most common complaint from the other players were yeah. that they just started to get invested in the setting and then it yeah. changed. Yeah. Again. 
Yeah. Can I just add in at this point? I don't know if any if you've read, but uh, Michael Moorcock's nearly finishing his current Elric book. Well, he's put finishing the last maybe Elric book in which he sees something else on the other side of a world he believes shaped like an elongated egg. Earlier adventures <laughs> closer to Elric and Moonglum's sleeping sorcery period. What? <laughs> why, why? Why aren't you finishing like the Whispering Swarm trilogy? Yeah. yeah why is he writing another Elric? Well, you know, God bless him. I would read another Elric book if he writes one. Uh, to be fair, you know, the only one I've not read is the Scraling Tree because I really can't be asked. It was. It was. Hard work, I found. Well, funnily enough, I was having a quick chat on Twitter last night with friend of the show, the pastor, and we and and he really loved the um, the Jack Dacre stuff and yeah. the the end White Wolf Sun and I think the 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 words he used were it was like um, uh, a eating its tail kind yeah, of yeah, conclusion, yeah. which is which is a, a kind of a nice description. But I, I struggled with it, to be honest. And the scrailing tree in the middle, actually the pastor agreed that that was a bloody slog as well. What was the... F- so was the there was three of them, wasn't there? There was um, Dream Thief's Daughter, the scrailing yeah. tree, which he for some reason renamed the Albino in America for the Golanks Did it? collection. Yeah, that's a shit title. I don't know if they called it that in the US in the first place. I don't know. Um, so yeah, uh, Dream Thief's Daughter, which I think also might have an alternative name in the US. But in the UK, it was Dream Thief's Daughter, Scrailing Tree, and White Wolf's Son. Yeah. Mm. They're better titles. Yeah. And that's now collected as the Moonbeam Roads trilogy. Yeah. By Galax. I read, I've read, I said I didn't read Scrailing Tree, I read the first one and the last one. Yeah. The first one, I can't remember anything about it yeah. at, at all. It could be, you know, I yeah. have no idea what it was about. It's, of course, it's, ta- it's, it's making increasingly. Um, Explicit ties to things like Rose von Beck and yeah, yeah. Um, and Una Person. Well, Una Person was Una, wasn't she? In yeah, the, Una the Dream Thief. Yeah, in Fortress of the Pearl. The, the problem with the White Wolf Sun was there was about fourteen people who had very similar names, wasn't mm. there? Yeah. and in the end, you just go, eh, yeah, well, they're all the same. Don't matter anyway. Yeah. But one of the interesting things about the the uh, Elric car rules for Mongoose RuneQuest Two. We won't go into the provenance of all those systems. But the last version of any kind of rulebook that was produced as an RPG card rulebook, that that includes loads of stuff um, and loads of rules for being a dream thief. And it's all actually quite good. It's, it's, it's yeah. quite, quite well done. How do you pronounce the uh, in the Fortress of the Pearl, the city in the desert? Oh, shit, I Qu- can't remember. Quartz. That's how I pronounce it. Yeah, we've yeah, just excellent. agreed. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Uh, to be fair, it wouldn't be an episode of Breakfast in the Ruins if we didn't, you know, at least have, have some kind of issues around pronunciation yeah, yeah. of something or other. But I think um, that was quite a good setting hmm. because, you know, you've got an empire that isn't an empire. Yeah. That's probably a, another England kind of analogy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think. You can quite successfully do um, a nice Mococcian one shot because. Um, well, you did one. Oh, I did, yeah. You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I just recently played one as well. But that that one, yeah, that was all right. I found the notes for that. Did you? Yeah. yeah, yeah um, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. I, I found uh, four of the five pieces of A4, which have all of the, the game on it. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so it's like eight sides, a couple of pages missing. Um, but I've got them. Yeah, that was all right. Um, but if you look at some of the stories, so uh, in um, Sailor on the Seas of Fate, all that business with the blind captain and the blind steersman, 
and each aspect of the Eternal Champion having their gang of four or five, yeah. like Brute of Lashmar, etc., and then going and basically raiding a tower, like Agak and Gagak, because <laughs> I always get it mixed up with the Tower of Volodium Gosnazdiak or whatever That's, it was. That is was, my favourite. Which is the other one where the aspects of the Eternal Champion all turn into a massive meat machine with eight arms and swords. Yeah, that was a bit weird. Wasn't yeah, it? that's quite. Odd. Yeah, back to the point. Yeah, which was. Oh yeah, the point is, I think you can quite successfully do Mokot one shots. The game deck ran was basically a, a heist. But just just let me stop you there for a minute. How many people who were playing that game had read Mokot books? Um, I think probably most of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. If you're doing yeah. a, if you're doing a one shot, so you could potentially do a one shot and have the same characters in each one yeah. on the blind sailor ship. Yes, yeah. sailor sees a fate. You could do that. That's easy, but. You have to be invested yeah. in... I... The one I ran, though, with the Melanobonian battle bad trapped in the ice and all that business, you and I were the only people who read um, Elric then, and that still worked. With the, with the exception of the strange, bitter little bloke who had never gamed before and just wanted to stab everything and was really <laughs> weird and aggressive, even to the oh, people really? in the room. Yeah, yeah he was and very it, strange. One. He, he basically was just um, out to upset... The um the atmosphere and the experience for everybody in the room. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a strange. Met Pauls. Who, uh, the next time I saw, he never played again. The next time I saw him after that, I was going to Jackson's to get uh, to get some other loaf of bread or whatever. And him and some of his friends were on the roof of a house about fifty yards from Jackson's, and he was offering me out from the roof. Really, <laughs> really, <laughs> brilliant. Any particular reason why? Uh, just because he was drunk and bitter and weird. I think yeah, he was just an aggressive, strange, aggressive little man was, with a little man syndrome. He was a strange man, wasn't mm, he? Yeah. I, I joined for the second episode of that game. I think. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we digress. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it is all possible. But for, for me, I'd, I'd love to do a campaign, but I don't want to get bogged down in who who's a good dancer or who can tie knots or untie knots. I don't want everybody to have magic and demon models. Or clogs. Or, yeah, or, or war Clogs of running. Yeah. That's what I would um, you know, <laughs> I'm growing up in every game from now on. But but the stakes have got to be high. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter if at periods it's basically like an old Conan story where everything's accomplished, but actually you end up skint the following week and you know, you're know you down on your luck and looking for some work. One of the beautiful things about some of the Elric tales and... I know a lot of people frown on this in, in D&D. It's a lot of starting taverns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moonglum and Elric are in a tavern, down on the luck. They've got no money. And somehow they pick up a piece of work. But nevertheless, the stakes are always high. Yeah. You know, they're not quite as high as the end of Stormbringer, where the world's at stake. But the stakes are always pretty high. And the villains are always um, pretty merciless and, and, and unpleasant. Yeah, but the, the, and the campaign side, side of things. So you've got Philip Karner, who's yeah. the, the main villain in pretty much a lot of the short stories, isn't he? Yeah, I do, I do wonder if I, when I read him again, he only appears in it twice. And it's just my memory that says he's in it loads. No, he's in it loads. Yeah. He's bound to, isn't he? Yeah. If you could do a TV show, he'd bound to be in it yeah, loads, probably. isn't he? Yeah. But I think your skills need to be relevant and appropriate. Yeah, that's because the problem. I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't think in any mo- of any more cocks of dancing. No, unless the, the thing is, unless you as a GM, you go right, okay, it's really important that there's a massive ball, and if you fail your dance roll, something terrible is going to happen, which is unlikely, isn't it? Yeah. And why would you bother? It's like sing, isn't it? We we've crowbarred singing to quite a few games because we had a. A bard, yeah, 
and Bard should be banned in every game ever because <laughs> they're rubbish and it just detracts from everything because as soon as you go anywhere they'll go I'll sing a song it's like fuck off mate. well I gave Stu a lot of love in, 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 when I was running it you for, did, for yeah. his bard skills yeah. simply because if if Stu can bugger about being a bard and fill up 45 minutes of game time it takes off pressure pressure off me to write something yeah so I was more than happy to do it yeah. and Stu really enjoyed it yeah, that, was the most, that was the most engaged Stu got in anything we ever did yeah and I have to say, I'm sorry if, as if as the DM, if it bothered you, but Lindsay's pan pipes goes down as one of the best bad moments. Yeah, I wasn't there to be honest. I don't think it was there. I wasn't there for the pan pipe. No, no, one. Oh, no. I thought you were. No, no, I that. didn't play that. No, memory is a strange thing. But that. So, that... so basically, if you think about it, right, you're gonna if you if you're gonna write a mock-up game. Let's just let's just pan that out. It yeah. might be shit, and we'll give up after we finish this beer. But yeah. let's go for it, right? So you're gonna write an eternal champion game from a character point of view. What would your character types be? You know, well, what, the, what are you the started writing? You, you started writing a couple of notes on it, mm. and it was really good because mm. it was basically the majority of them are nobles, mm. because, warriors. Yeah, warriors. But even if like Corum, which we'll get to later. Corum is a noble, but just happens to be a bit tasty with a sword as well, because mm. as you are, yeah. even though he's a nerd. Yeah. Um, so nobles are people of power, yeah. every single one of them, which gives you that capacity of, I suppose, that you're already in the world as a position of power, yeah. if you will. You, the majority of skills they use, if, you, if you're writing a Morcock character, tasty with a sword, you're quite good at magic if you're Elric. Yeah. There's not a lot of magic, though, is there? And a lot of... What, what there is is magic items. Yeah. Isn't there? Because um, Coram's got the hand of Rill and the, and eye, the, eye, of, of, the eye of Quim. 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 Yeah, the eye of Clive or something. <laughs> yeah. Clive's eye. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah, he's got that. Elric's got Stormbringer. Hawkmoon Heart, is, like, I suppose, the, the, the most low-powered... But in the dueling the school, Hawkmoon is basically just bloodthirsty and insanely smashing people's heads in yeah, with a yeah. sword. That's his superpower at that yeah. point. And you've got but Erico's with Carnajana. Yeah, Erico's has got Carnajana. Yeah, Carnajana. Um, but I think Erico's has got that specific advantage in that out of all the characters who, you know, are, are, are kind of skilled, Erico's is like a towering, rippling, six foot three. Beast, isn't he? Erico, if you're going to cast Erico's, it's going to be obviously he's been in the Witcher already, but it's going to be Henry Cavill, isn't he? Erico's because he's massive, or, muscular, turns up naked. Or you've got in his other incarnations, you've got like an Idris Elba character yeah. it, where he's got an inverted V shaped scar on his face. Yeah, is that him or is that one of the his minions? Oh, God, I don't know. I can't remember. No, I, can't. I can't remember. I'll look forward to reading them all and finding out. You're right, the, the archetypes for the characters, they're always nobles. They're always intrinsically powerful from the very outset. Yeah. They always have distinct advantages from the very outset. And they usually spend most of the time um, negotiating uh, a, a kind of a, a rough world with an arched eyebrow thinking, God, bloody peasants. And yeah, and most of the time it's like the characters, the, it's the mates you kind of... You'd probably hang out with, as I said before. You know, Moonglum's quite a. You know, he's the yeah, rogue, good laugh. He's the roguey character who yeah. likes to drink, and his best mate's a bit of a knobber, isn't he? Yeah, mooching around. Yeah, it's like cheer up, mate. You know, we've we've got some coin. Let's have a drink. It'd be reeked. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to put this to the test, aren't we? Yeah. We we are gonna have to um play a, a mocock game. I'm I'm gonna run it. 
I'm going to run a game and you're going to have to play it and suck it up and be a beggar from Oin and R U. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not being a beggar. No, no I'm not doing that. No. I'll be a farmer. Oh. Yeah. As long as I can... As long as you know, can have a pitchfork. Yeah, if I can have a demon pitchfork. <laughs> and, and clogs of running. I'm, I'm that sounds do. amazing. Yeah. If not, yeah, I'm not playing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, you know what, we'll do it. I'm going to give some considerable thought to how to do it and what system to use, and that system will be kept simple. I'll probably use Barbarians of Lemuria again. Cause it's Which is easy. great. I mean, when we've used that before with our low-powered German poet game, yeah. which is better than it sounds, by yeah. the way, which was cool. Yeah. That, thanks that, thanks for adding that. Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> things, if you say, yeah, we did, we did a role-playing game based on uh, we're all German poets, you'd be yeah. like, yeah, that sounds shit. Yeah, yeah I really don't want to play that. Yeah. Yeah, but seriously, listeners, it's awesome. Yeah, it is good, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably tweet Barbarians of Lumuri again. It's, it's easy enough to make people high-powered in that. That's, that's, that's but the thing is, even, even though they're high-powered, they're always getting the shit kicked out of them, aren't they? Yeah, because the high-powered you get, the higher-powered the villains yeah. get, don't they? And you need to at least have a couple of gans in there as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, it just so happens that when I run games, I, I like low-power, because I like the idea of low-powered villains... Yeah, and pick, and, and picking weevils out of biscuits. Yeah, and, and people like having that. fights with potatoes. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, all that or flans. <laughs> yeah, our next meal being plumes. Yeah, yeah plumes. Oh, yeah. You crow about plumes into your short story, isn't it? I crow about plumes. Did into you? Everything. Yeah, but that, that that wasn't in the original. You, you no, no, just, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, Gerard Arthur Connolly is an unreliable narrator. He is, but yeah, he, he did he did plumes. power. <laughs> He powered his, uh, his dirigible plume with, gas. with plume gas. <laughs> it did amuse me, but yeah, yeah it's, it's not canon. That's no. all I'm saying. No. Uh, it's just one of those things. I think since I first threw it into a game, I don't think I've ever not had it in a game. No, I think you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you are. Yeah, yeah. That that beer went down all right. Yeah, this, this one's much better. So I think um, on that beer bombshell. That the second beer was better than the first one, yeah, yeah, which didn't take much doing. To be fair, no, we shall uh, we shall draw this one to a close, yeah. and at some point in the future, we will have a follow up episode where we talk about and maybe even play a little bit of uh, of our uh, Moorcockian um, role playing game shenanigans. But in the meantime, I'm going to bung some of the general of Gerard Arthur Connolly on the end of this show, so you can get a taste of uh, of what we're talking about from the perspective of the unreliable narrator that is. Gerard Arthur Connolly. And how brilliant my game was. And how brilliant your yeah. game was, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, sure. and the, the importance of plume gas <laughs> yeah. to proceedings. To every game. Yeah, game. yeah. So uh, thanks very much, Laws. Thanks very much, Phil. And we, we shall reconvene at some point in the near future. And to everybody else out there, um, we'll talk to you again soon. Later's Later's Bye. 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 Thanks as ever to Loz and Phil for being grand co-hosts on another, this time slightly different edition of Breakfast in the Ruins. From time to time, maybe every ten shows or so, we'll be looking at something Mocock adjacent, or just something else that came to me via Pops back in the day. In the Patreon world, welcome aboard the good ship Donblast to a new bunch of patrons. Loz has dipped into his voluminous purse and pulled out a Melnibonian silver piece to join the soiree on Patreon, along with our long-time audio coach Neil, and other pals Steve, Mark and Craig. Welcome and thanks to you all. 
Thanks again to our long-standing patrons Fred, Tom, Malpertui, David, Jim, Matt, Simon and Robbo. And of course extra special thanks to Uber patron Lord Norman of the Higher Worlds. Robbo actually played in that old Gerard Arthur Connolly game for a while as Friedrich of Saarbrook. And like all the patrons, Robbo got an advanced listen as a patron and he commented, I didn't recall it at first. Now I remember I single-handedly brought down the ornithopter with an arrow between the eyes of the pilot, ascended the rope, kicked out the co-pilot, turned the flames on those in the river, and then went and freed the city in a Daenerys Targaryen fashion. You'll need to rewrite it accurately to portray events, or I'm suing Trump style. Other than that, it was good. Some slight spoilers there for a future chapter, but thanks Robbo. I also sent Paul, the player behind Vincent, a copy of the complete recording so far, and he said, Just started the Gerard thing. My word, it takes me there instantly. Didn't recognise your voice at first. That was fantastic, Stim. Thanks for sharing. My son enjoyed it too. Thanks, Paul, if you're listening. It was yours and Johnny Real's feedback, and that and my bud Niss on the text version on the website, that gave me the courage to bang it out here rather than just play around with it. We've had another five-star review on iTunes, this time from the grogfather Dirk the Dice, titled Not Epic Poo, and it reads, I've been waiting all my life for this podcast. Being a scholar of Mocock, Andy knows that you have to take the rough with the smooth. For every note of brilliance, there's always a bum one coming soon. It's the enthusiasm, honesty, and sense of humour that makes this such a joy to listen to, as well as all the Mocockian goodness. Recommended. Very satisfying that. Thanks, Dirk. We're on Twitter and Instagram as at Breakfast Ruins. The website blog is breakfastintheruins.com. You can email us at breakfastruins@outlook.com, and you can find us on most major podcast platforms. Anyway, I hope you stayed with us through our trip down memory lane and our encounters with stouts and porters from the very bowels of the infernal pit. For now, though, I'll leave you to make your own judgment regarding the veracity of Gerard Arthur Connolly's dubiously recalled and almost certainly exaggerated recollections. But beyond that, well, I'll see you on the Moonbeam Roads. Journal of Gerard Arthur Connolly, Part 1. Loose Stitches and a Chance Meeting Major Howard was a burly, heavy-browed Texan, with a laconic wit and a dangerous gleam in his prominent blue eyes. He was a friend of my father's and a keen airshipman of the frontier variety. I recall his view of the world even now, twelve years later by some reckoning and a million spheres by another. 
Howard referred regularly to the gentility of civilised women, almost in exasperation, as if yearning for a simpler, more instinct-driven breed of woman. This, I suppose, was a reflection of his somewhat simplistic view of the world, but it was an assertion at odds with his otherwise egalitarian attitude to the fairer sex. Howard would frequently enter my thoughts in the days that I spent recklessly at the brothel in Rosenstrasse, where gentility was not a quality generally shared by the women of that establishment. Sweet Orb Mace in particular would challenge that perception, and she, more than any woman I have ever known or loved, is a product of civilization, albeit that which will exist when our son has long since grown cold. Nevertheless, I saw Frau Schmetterling's palace of pleasures as a haven from the grotesquerie I have faced since departing my own world. As an idealistic teen, I was often infuriated by Howard's view of civilization and his ironic contempt for progress. Now, I frequently find myself aching for the pastoral simplicity of my childhood and have developed a deep loathing for civilization and the corruption and lawlessness it breeds. I believe it was that yearning that made my decision to leave Mirrenberg a simple one. I had spent time with a librarian validating my plans for the inflation device that would carry my harness, and we were confident that plume gas would provide sufficient lift to clear the crystal spires. We were correct. Unfortunately, I failed to pay as much attention to the quality of the stitching on the gas bags, and, once the storm hit, I had the canvas rip apart like an onion sack. It was instantly apparent that the storm was unnatural. I've witnessed such cloud patterns in the middle march, and as I hung upside down, suspended in the bows of an ancient gnarled beach, I knew that my path had shifted once more. I pondered this a while, as the branches creaked and splintered above me, straining to hold aloft the tattered remains of my apparatus. The last vestiges of plume gas escaping from the torn shrouds wailed like a starving cat, eliciting startled looks from a young doe forty feet below me. Whilst entertaining hasty thoughts of freeing my boarding saber from its scabbard and cutting myself free of the canvas harness, I was hailed from below. Looking up, or in fact down, I saw that the deer had been replaced by a formidable looking man of apparently northern European descent. This impression was strengthened when he hailed me again in a thick voice with a distinctly Scandinavian brogue. Are you a beast man? he asked. The compact frame of the man was held upright, tense and prepared his weight balanced finely on powerful legs, evidently made for running and bounding great distances with ease. He was a far cry from my own doughy frame, muscles wasted by months of tobacco, lefay, seven-course meals, and general neglect. His keen eyes regarded me with some suspicion. I confess that I am not, I replied, although I am rather inconvenienced and somewhat out of my element. The man frowned and scratched his heavily bearded chin the fair wiry growth giving way reluctantly to heavy, calloused fingers. Those fingers then drew a heavy axe from a sheath on his back, and leaned it carefully against a bowl. They then unfastened a stiff leather girdle festooned with all manner of implements and pouches, and this was hanged from the haft. Two smaller axes, tools rather than dedicated weapons, emerged from a heavy hide jerkin, and a reputation for manliness and physical prowess was only enhanced as this remarkable individual set to climbing the venerable beach by dint of only two small axes and a remarkable display of upper body strength. In scant seconds he hefted himself alongside me and gripped my harness with one vice-like paw and freed my aching legs with the other. Using his fist as a pivot, gravity swung me upright and down to a pair of leafy boughs from where I was able to begin a cautious descent to the scree at the foot of the tree. As the blood and sensation returned needle-like to my extremities, I snatched a look back above me. The man was regarding me with curiosity and no apparent hostility. 
My glancing up prompted him back to movement, and he set to releasing my haversack from the half-inverted basket that was slung beneath the wreckage of my former vehicle. He accompanied my luggage back down to terra firma. I straightened my back, removed my deck gauntlets, and proffered my right hand. Sir, I am indebted to you. Had you not happened along, I fear I would eventually landed upon my head. A youthful smile flashed white teeth briefly before the grim look returned to a prematurely weathered face. My instant impression was that his visage was aged by experience rather than years. My name is Gerard Connolly, I said, arm still outstretched. He gripped my forearm. Had I not been wearing my heavy deck gunner's coat, I fear his fingers would have left bruises. Morton, he said simply. 